good morning or good afternoon whenever you're picking this this up. We're so glad to be able to uh, host another Ordinary People podcast. It's great to be able to have uh, another conversation and uh, joining me as usual, Paul. Paul, good to see you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. Andrew, are you well? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, Neil. How are you? Good. I am well, as my name is Neil, just in case you didn't see that across the bottom there. Uh, I have the privilege of just really quickly introducing our, our guest this evening, uh, Donna Jennings. Donna is the, the Church and Mission Coordinator from, for the Evangelical Alliance and uh, has a wonderful family, does wonderful work. And so I'm going to ask Donna that she would just uh, introduce herself for us. And then Andrew, the spotlight is is on you this evening to, uh, to ask some really good questions. Gift for, we're, we're the, it's, a, it's a real gift for us to have Donna today, sharing her, her wisdom and her expertise. And so Andrew's going to be the one to pull that out of Donna tonight. So Donna, why don't you introduce yourself? And then Andrew is, uh, is going to ask you a few questions. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great. This is great fun. Um, yeah, I'm excited. My name is Donna Jennings. I work for the Evangelical Alliance. I do church and missiony kind of stuff. Um, I am married to Nathaniel. We have two beautiful children. Micah is 12 and Tabitha's 10 um, this year. And we live in East Belfast. Um, we did work previously in Southeast Asia for a number of years. Um, I think I'm here tonight because Micah has um, autism and a severe learning disability and challenging behaviours, a few a few things in the mix for Micah. And I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Thank you for, for joining with us tonight. Thank you for agreeing. To, I know you, you maybe weren't sure what, what to expect before you did. Um, so really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Obviously, you're you're you've done a lot of work with with local churches um around the topic of disability and it's obviously a very uh, something that's very close to your heart um a, a bit like me my son peter has autism and and it's probably one of the reasons that i work in the field of accessibility um digital accessibility that is and it really helped i find um put things into perspective when when Peter came along whenever we we got his diagnosis um when he was he was you know around two or three which is quite young um it it had actually helped things as as traumatic an experience as it was it actually helped um put things into perspective things made sense you know there was a, an explanation i suppose uh, for us at least that okay this this challenging behavior there's a reason for it this is what it is um and now we can do we can do more to support him and and whether that's been through school and and home life and family life you know we've we've done our best to try and support him he's um coming seven now and uh, and is really thriving and and that that definitely had a big impact on my career as well and I just wondered, would you say that has been the same with you and Micah? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we were a little bit different. We were working out in Bangladesh. Um, Micah developed quite typically until he was about 20 months. And then he had a very significant regression. And, you know, a lot of the behaviours then lost all his speech, didn't interact. 
Uh, and I had I had trained as a teacher and knew a little bit about autism. And I said to my friends, sent an email to all the, all the medical professions in my little friendship group. I was like, Micah has autism. This is what he's doing. What do you think? You know, and they're all like, oh, don't be fine. It's fine. And when we came back from Bangladesh then uh, to have Tabitha, um, yeah, I think people saw him and they just thought, okay. And yeah, he got a diagnosis fairly swiftly, which, which was um, really quite a blessing because we were told we would probably need to wait a year to see people. You know, I just think that the, the, with autism in Northern Ireland, the pipeline in the system is so, is so full and so narrow at the same time. Um, so quite a blessing to actually get a diagnosis and, and then just know what, what you're dealing with. Um, as, um, as devastating as it is, um, yeah. And it's interesting that the consultants said um, the first question that most people ask when they're giving out the diagnosis is, does this mean they'll never get married? Um, yeah, it's interesting, just that's kind of the parents percept the trajectory that they have. And I think that's what happens to you. I think you, when you're pregnant, when you, when you have your baby, you have all these hopes and, and bound up in this little baby and this little person is your imagining subconscious imagining who they're going to be at this age at that age at that age and suddenly you have the rug pulled from under your your little family feet um and there's a bit of recalibration that needs to be done and grieving maybe. yeah i was i was actually just thinking of that word as well yeah there's definitely a like a, a grieving experience there as well i know even when whenever the the idea that he might have autism came up i know my wife was she she felt very upset and angry at the thought of it you know uh, and i think that's you know a perfectly natural reaction as well um it's it's definitely been a an experience it's definitely been a journey and we were very fortunate where we lived um out kind of out here in sort of armagh region um things moved very quickly for us but we have friends and family members who are you know in different health trusts and you know family in Belfast as well and it seemed to be a, a totally different experience they were waiting years and um, you know we were waiting years to get a statement for school and um, for us everything moved very quickly and, and even that seems a little bit unfair as well that you know it's it's like a postcode lottery it, it really is and it's the the parents who shout the loudest who 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 get and yeah I, I think I find that the most difficult because I know I have a voice that I can use and so many people don't uh, and I guess that's part of where I've felt God has used me or or has wanted me to step in um, and become a voice for people who can't do that um yeah yeah I, I've just we're we're all so different and I think everybody responds to to changes of life journeys in different ways you know autism COVID we all respond in different ways and um it, it's just a it's about being on a journey and journeying with other people and alongside them at, at their pace and at our pace as well sometimes i have to recalibrate i'm i'm on a journey you know and, and sometimes the journey is is easier for me than it is at other seasons sometimes so you you mentioned a couple of things there i want to just ask about well not not necessarily those but i want to can i just you know take something and run with it um one of the things you mentioned 
it was that sometimes it's the um the people who shout the loudest that's uh and um it's kind of bringing conversation back to church i definitely feel that that might be the case um not just for for kids with autism but for really people with with many disabilities that um in churches you know the people who are shouting the loudest will quite often be noticed and and possibly get the support that they need um when there are many others who who aren't shouting loud um or whose voice is too quiet in the mass and they you know they're getting missed out and i just wanted to see what you thought about that i know we were in some of the conversations we we're having before this we were talking about the the idea of uh, of charity and um paul actually mentioned this earlier in in our whatsapp group um you know he was asking when i spit charity was i meaning like biblical charity uh, and I said, no, I mean, like charity, charity is in like, you know, giving, giving money and resources. And the church is very good and historically has been very good at that, um, you know, supporting people with disabilities through that act of charity. But when it comes to um, like true biblical charity, um, I don't know if sometimes not not uh, maliciously, I suppose, not, you know, not withholding that charity, but sometimes not knowing that yeah. um, they, they need to share yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think our our experience of church was, um, you know, we we had a very caring church family. Immediately, the the tone was, um, we have to get Donna and Nathaniel into church. We have to deal with Micah to get Donna and Nathaniel into church. Um, and I think it was a little while into my journey. Again, I I think there is a there is. I think this is how God works in throughout time through his people. He makes people feel uncomfortable with, with what just isn't quite right. Maybe very well intentioned, but just isn't quite a full expression of how he wants his people to be. And so there was a discomfort in me for a very long time uh, with, with what was happening. Um, uh, yeah. I guess there was a sense that, um, that, there was not a a bodyness to the church community in terms of how Micah was um, included or or part of the church community. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that idea of charity um, exists in the church. I think I think church has taken a, a world's model of what it means to be human or personhood um when you look at personhood right back at the beginning the, the biblical word for personhood is image the image of god um and i think we have defined image of god so i studied theology and um if you go into any theological book or or anything at um at any level actually uh, on what the image of god is you see the image of God defined in terms of how we understand God. And we understand God through the lens of being a strong and able-bodied minded person. So we'll say, oh, I am strong, but God is so much stronger. God can love, that's why I can love. Um, and those, there's three um, aspects usually is talked about in terms of the image of God. It's being rational, being logical, being able to figure things out with your mind, being creative and making things and being relational. 
Uh, my son is none of those three. Um, and actually, it was interesting when Tabitha was about three, she started to go to our junior church and they were doing the image of God. And they called it the God stamp in people. And she came out and she said, Micah doesn't have the God stamp because he can't do all the things that the God stamp makes us able to do. And as a three-year-old who had just been so attuned to her brother, um, she could see that. Um, a couple of years later, I love this story. A couple of years later, um, Micah was going into, Tabitha was entering P1. Micah was entering P3 or P4. And you know what people do on Facebook and they take a picture, you know, the first day, the kids at the front door, the school uniform on with the sign, I am this age and I am going into this class and my teacher is something, whatever. Um, so Tabitha did it one day. I'm going into P1. I want to be a baker when I grow up. Um, the next day, Micah was starting school and she said, you have to do the sign for Micah. And I said, okay, and I'm Micah. I'm going into before. No, you have to say what he's going to be when he grows up. And I said, okay, is this the time when we have the conversation with Tabitha about who her brother is? I said, okay, what, what will I write? You tell me what to write. Um, and in my head, I'm thinking, right, we're going to have to talk to her about her brother's needs. So she wrote, um, okay, write this, mommy. Um, my name is Mike. I'm going into before. When I grow up, I will be... Um, he, he will be my children's uncle and for her it was all about relationship it was about who he was she knew instinctively that he was not going to be a baker like her or a teacher or a scientist but it was all about relationship and the image of God is all about being in relationship with God with our place that we inhabit and with each other it's all about humans in community and I think we have a divided way of being community not just in disability but on so many other levels there's a there's always a them and us um you know in whatever context we inhabit um if it's over the pond that way or over the pond that way um there is a them and an us and how we do community because we are tribal people it, it's what happened when the world went wrong so I think we do that in church as well I think we have an, on different categories with them and the us and interesting when I talk to some agencies who who work with the socioeconomic divide or debt um areas like that they will say the same thing that they the church perceives them as as doing the stuff to the poor people um giving them the tools to do the stuff to the poor people and I think what you're talking about charity here is because the church have taken that model, that lens of a them and us, brought it into the church um, because we're part of society. You know, we're, we have these lenses um, and often we don't see the lenses until someone calls it out, which is what you're trying to do here, uh, which is great. Um, but we have that feel good factor of we are good people who do kind things to poor people, whether that's people with mental health issues and food poverty, um, kids in the care system, disability, um, asylum seekers, refugees. And I think um, we, we have this kind of, there's the, the inner core and then there's the Friday night club. There's the Saturday morning stuff. There's the group over here and it's the them and the us. And Jesus broke that down. He, he completely turned the them and the us on its head and I love the parable of Luke 14 um, and Jesus comes he talks about a, a feast um, 
and this is talking about the church he, jesus says there is a feast here um go and invite the people and the people considered them to be the them and the other people to be the us and they didn't want to go to the party so they were kind of on the margins the folk on the margins were told to go out to the places where people had been excluded marginalized uh, and that word sinner uh, in the gospels is used for those people who were officially by rabbinic standard taken out and part of that was disability if you have an imperfect persona you may have you have a there's a disconnect in the spiritual realm um, and so they were on the margins and I just I think we do exactly the same thing whereas the body of Christ is a place where we all recognize the value of our innate humanity our personhood our value because we are made in the image of God full stop whatever our experience of humanity is we have an innate value and we also each one of us me and my son experience the broken humanity in a different way nobody in, has escaped the brokenness of humanity it manifests itself differently in me than it does in Micah I get to hide how it manifests itself in me. I get to, to put on the, the image of Donna and, you know, and um, he doesn't, he doesn't have that capacity to do that. Um, I, I also think we learn something from the Micahs. I'm sorry, what's your little boy's name, Andrew? Peter. Peter, Peter. Um, I think we learn a deeper understanding of who God is in the Micahs. And the Peters of this world. I, I find that with with all of my children, I think I I didn't I didn't understand as much about the nature of God until I had children, until I, you know, maybe at times where I was I was doing something or saying something or rebuking them, that all of a sudden I kind of I saw myself as God's child, and it's like, oh wow, you know, yeah, they're doing to me what I'm doing to God. And it's like that, that was a, like a true moment of epiphany for me. It's like that relationship um, that I never realized existed. Like I knew intellectually, but never actually felt until that moment. And and that's, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think even with um, with, with Peter, I was at a, a TO Associates conference a oh, few yeah. years ago. And I can't remember who was speaking, but the, one of the things they said, and they had a lovely graph to illustrate this was, um, considering God as being infinite on a on an IQ scale, you know the distance between, you know, um, the smartest the smartest human, and and somebody you know with like the highest IQ and the and the person with the lowest IQ, um, compared to you know the scale of where, where God is on that on that scale is like you know all people are in this tiny, tiny little sliver. All people who have ever lived are in this tiny little sliver at the very lowest end of that. And God's way over here off the chart. Yeah. And I thought like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And why, why do we draw the line here? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I think there, there is something about God. There, there is an aspect about God, a characteristic of God that is vulnerability. He chooses to make himself vulnerable yeah and we, we see that in the person of jesus we see that in his covenant making mm -hmm. with with israel with abraham he made himself vulnerable to humanity putting things into our hands um when you look at the person of jesus he 
became what he was never, you know, um, in his in his original state, and he became vulnerable to death. Um, and so there's an aspect when we look at a, a Micah and his humanity and Peter and their humanity, um, whose vulnerability cannot be hidden. They don't hide it the way I do, the way you do. Um, and that we, we gain that understanding of God, um, which I think stretches out the systematic theology books that, that have been written without the lens of disability. Yeah, that's really good. Neil's nodding along there. Neil, have you something you want to say or something you want to ask? I, I will say ask a hundred questions right now. Just, I, we could just go, just, the problem is we could, we could go, we could take it any direction. There's, and I don't want to take it too far off your, where you're planning to go. But like, I'm, still, I'm still reeling from that idea of nobody has escaped the brokenness of humanity. And Donna can hide it better than Micah, and I can hide it better than wh- whoever else. And I, I think I'm still reeling a wee bit from that. I have like lists of questions and comments to make. And, and I think it's interesting because we inhabit now... In this cultural age, we inhabit a, a culture with a, a lens on the world which denies any kind of fallenness or any kind of brokenness. Um, and it's interesting to see what they do with things like disability. Um, and so, we, you know, we're, we, we call it deconstructionism whenever we're talking about that there is a, there has been a move um, to look at society, look at the people who have been so oppressed by another tribe you know we talked about us as, as tribal people the them and the us and often the the us stand over the them and create our strength and power by being here oppressing people who are different and defining our humanity according to the characteristics that we have and we see that all over the place you know we've seen it with race in america um not just america actually race there are racial issues everywhere, but um, most distinctively now in, in America. And this deconstructionism, often we, we call it woke culture, can be referred to as woke, um, because it means you're awakened. You have seen that this oppression, you have seen the injustice and you're awakened and you want to do something and take it apart. And deconstructionism, I think, for the first lot of the journey, is good that this injustice needs to be deconstructed it needs to be taken apart it needs to have um those unjust those unjust structures deconstructed um and rebuilt something else and so we see a woke culture since probably the 60s 70s civil rights stuff um deconstructing around race marriage family uh women's rights um now gender fluidity um, and actually disability is now in, in, within the woke movement. Um, and so I find it very interesting to see how that um, is just kind of seeping into a lot of different spaces, even within the NHS, um, in terms of language, um, in terms of um, presentation about what autism is, what disability is. You see it on McCain's chips ads. They call it so-called disability. And it, it, I think the, the framework of deconstruction within woke culture is looking 
it's a reaction against, it's, it's a good reaction. Um, the first step is a good reaction. Look, it's reacting against what we've just described, the them and the us that says, you're disabled, it's your problem, it's nothing to do with me, you know, whatever you need, just sort of out, get yourself a wheelchair, get yourself that, and that's not anything to do with me. Um, and it, said, it has started to move and say, well, actually, no, there are so many problems within society and how society is built. And so that's why they started to build ramps up curbs, you know, and start to change social structures physiologically, but also with attitude. And we talk a lot about autism awareness and there's been a lot of that, which has been great. And I think we have come on leaps and bounds because of that reaction against the medical model, wanting to enter into the realities in society and community and attitude. And we've started to, to see more people living with a disability on TV and um, magazines, um, yeah, which is great, which is good. Um, but I wonder, I, I am not comfortable with what they do with impairment. Um, there, is a, there is a lot of movement to say that Micah, Micah's humanity uh, is just as normal as my humanity. And I think it's part of the language. I don't think we're playing on a good playing field because we haven't found a good set of language to use. Normal yeah. is not a good of language I, that's 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 very interesting actually because it it's in some cases it's it's beneficial for disability to be brought you know elevated and talked about in this sort of level but then on the other hand it does it it damages the cause i know i've seen that in the business world where um businesses will invest in um you know events and and funding for for groups within the organization you know are promoting um lgbtq rights and and gender rights and whenever somebody with a disability has went and said well you know we, we've only got one disabled bathroom on four across four floors um there's no budget for that because that's all pulled together in the you know equality initiative okay yeah. it's great that there's that level of awareness but also being lumped together with other issues can actually be damaging to the cause and also the i suppose the um the reaction to the woke movement is you know even in the past year but i think it, it's it's gone on longer than that that reaction that negative reaction um then damages you know the the cause the case for people with disabilities needing support mm -hmm. and need and um, because there are certainly uh, it's not my place to say, but there are cer certainly things that are more severe um, mm. and, and definitely, you know, supporting somebody with a disability is definitely something that is more severe. And I, again, maybe I'm I'm one of these people that shouts the loudest, like we said at the beginning. Maybe, you know, maybe that's just me because I have a child with a disability. I feel like because he has disability, he is more deserving of something than another group. And that's possibly, you know, that is definitely actually, you know, me doing the whole us and them thing but it's it's difficult and it's difficult to even get into the, the conversation around around that because it, and it's why it's difficult to even talk about it now because you're trying not to say anything that offends anybody you're trying not to make anyone feel yeah. feel less or or insulted or me to say that your cause isn't important because because i'm not you and i yeah. can't i can't say that but when common sense um is brought into play. I suppose when, when 
you know, a, a Christ-like attitude is brought into play, it, it really changes things. You know, it, it shakes everything up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think what, from what I've seen in society, they it's nearly a denial of disability. It's, you know, even the word disability is, is under question, um, which I don't think is helpful. I, I don't think it honors the humanity of Micah because it essentially says you can't be a human being of any value and have those needs. Um, you know, I, I, I just think there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of inconsistency with the narratives of disability in the world. Um, and then you've got the whole narrative that clashes because these cultural stories don't add up. They, they're so inconsistent. So we also, while we have a disability rights movement, which is great and it should be there, and it, it should be um, mobilized in a greater way. But um, it, the, the disability movement is, clashes with the abortion movement. Um, and at the minute, we have just seen a legislation pass which working towards disability up to 40 weeks. Um, you know, and essentially it is saying, looking at a child, unborn child and saying because you have a disability it's your mother's choice not to have you not to to bring you to life in the world and we've got these two inconsistent messages playing out at exactly the same time and for me that is just symptomatic of a culture that doesn't it is not rooted in anything it's not going anywhere with an end and just kind of floats and makes up a, a reaction in a reaction to us yeah it's too too much reaction and not enough, you know, pausing and mm. thinking. Yeah. And not enough being able to talk one to another. Um, you know, there for me, there needs to be not just church, but there needs to be a, a new conversation around disability about what is impairment. Uh what's a good set of language that we can use that honors every person's humanity, that acknowledges that there are different kinds of disability there are different levels and intensities of, of disability and that everybody inhabits their disability in a different space um so for example i have a, a friend who is a single mom he's got two children like micah um her space of disability is so much more acutely difficult than mine um, you know and, and that's the same in, in in many different aspects and so it's about creating a new conversation where able-minded, able-bodied, disabled-minded bodied can come together and explore within a parameter that makes sense. You know, what, what, what has culture done? What has society done for years that has been bad and wrong? We want to change it. Where are we going to? And what adds up and what makes sense? And for me, Andrea, I, I think the space for those conversations, just what we talked about, church, human community who are not of them and us they are trying to break through the them and us being reconciled together in Christ one body and being able to have those conversations and to sit under the authority of of the bible and to be looking and reading and asking and so what I say I'm interesting you mentioned to you I don't know if you know I helped start that up um, and I was involved in that um um so and what we what we say in this is we no longer read the Bible to disabled people, but we read the Bible with people with a disability and we learn from them as we do. 
the same as we need to do is reading the, the Bible now with for people with a different race, people with a different socioeconomic background. There's a there's a different way of there's a different posture in the church that is needed in this moment to be able to come alongside, take an issue, and to listen and to think and to talk together and to form a new way of being community that is a witness to the world because it makes sense and because it, it, it takes a posture that is no longer in the seat of power but is a subversive power from grassroots that um, is beautiful to people. And so I, like an example I often use when I'm talking about this is um, a church, a club. They started a club on a Friday night for kids with, with disability, autism, severe learning disability. And I guess they, they were doing, you know, like you described, Andrew, goodness of their heart, really well-meant intentions and actually good intentions because there needs to be more of this. They wanted to move towards families living with a disability, struggling um, with, with your Peter, with my Micah, um, and I wanted to help. Um, and so they did that for a couple of hours on a Friday night. So that was their main motivation. As they did it, at the end of the session, when I was with them, they didn't have language for this and they, they didn't even have the, the categories to be able to communicate it, but they were saying, I think I got more out of that than the child did. There was something, and I was watching, you know, 50-year-old men um, who you only kind of saw in a shirt and tie, you know, on a Sunday, rolling around on the floor with the kids, dressing up as Darth Vader. Um, you know, I saw 60-year-old women playing hide and seek and, you know, hiding on top of the bookshelf. And it was people dancing and singing. There was something really freeing about it. And there was something which I think you've described and I've described here already with being with someone who shows that level of vulnerability because they can't help showing it it makes me more comfortable with who i am and being able to yeah. share who <laughs> i am <laughs> because that's 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 the that's the society secret is that we're we're all you know broken and flawed yeah. and 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 we've all got our own problems and, and like you said earlier you, you know we some of us are really good at hiding them yeah. the headlines at the minute we cannot deny that there is there has something gone wrong in the world, and we we can no longer live in this narrative that you know it, we just humanity is brilliant. We just make it up as we go along, and we do really well. Um, that doesn't work, and I think that's what the pandemic has has shown. It's been a, a mirror held up to people. So these people in this club, they were experiencing that. They were going into their workspaces, so they were receiving. They moved towards. They received from. And then they went into their workplaces on Monday morning and their work colleagues said, oh, you know, what did you do at the weekend? Oh, tried the new restaurant, saw the new film, went for a lovely walk on the beach, um, whatever. And these guys were like, well, I helped out at a, a club for kids with autism and, you know, got a bruise to prove it. And it started conversations for them in their workplaces. And they were saying, I have never had the courage to talk about my faith or to talk about Jesus in my staff room it is a hostile environment but this has given me a space to be able to explain what I believe and they're interested and they're listening and they were saying you know people are like well, who, who does that why do they do that what do they do that's really nice 
that's it. And they were breaking away. And so I started to do a bit of training with them about how to share their faith in that space, how to use the words image of God, kingdom of God, shalom and wholeness and good news of Jesus and transformation. And they were suddenly saying back to me, I feel all of a sudden that I can share my faith and I've never been able to do it before because their faith was no longer a concept that began with sin ended in hell and judgment it was a real life following of Jesus into the broken spaces where he went and it was beautiful and appealing and actually we ran that club for years mostly by money donated by their work colleagues because their work colleagues wanted to be part of it and our next step was to say come and join in you know be a part of this community of the kingdom because you see something beautiful and we'll put the name of Jesus on that and during this time then so we moved towards we received from and we witnessed with um in, in that kind of community no longer them and us but a we and then during our time at the club um two issues came up in society the first all was um shortage of respite spaces and I was involved with a bit of advocacy going on there and the volunteers really wanted to get behind it. They wanted to fill in public consultation forms. They wanted to, um, you know, just to phone who they knew, um, you know, in, in the council or, you know, and, and do something. They wanted to use their voices for the people who didn't have a voice. And so I, I think when we start to engage with, with the them and the us, breaking it down, going into those spaces, actually God uses it to do so much more than we think that way of taking you know something that the church is doing or something that's happening in the church and letting people see jesus through the actions i think it's so much more powerful than just going out and you know and, and like you say at lunchtime trying to witness to somebody in the lunchroom because and there, there might have been a time where that worked well and there might be places where that worked really well but things have changed whereas and, and I think the, the church has got a, a bad reputation as well in certain places. So being able to see that, to be able to see the true church um, is is so much more powerful. Yeah, I, I often speak of this in, in this EA space as I am I am absolutely for proclaiming the gospel. It, there's, it's, it needs to be communicated with words. We need to be confident. We need to have the right words, the right language these days. But I talk about embodying mm -hmm. the gospel. And actually, that's what makes the difference in this counter, in this post-truth world where people actually see the truth lived out and they ask. And it's like Peter says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And we assume if they're being asked about their hope, about why they're living in a hope-filled way, that they're living something out that's different, yeah. that has caught track. Um, and actually, the early church, I don't know if, if you've read uh, Rodney Stark, The Rise of Christianity, a uh, brilliant book. Yeah, and, and he he says this, he says the early church grew like exponentially, you know, thousands in its first couple of years. Um, and it was not so much that they were doing fantastic proclamation, although they were talking about Jesus and they were making it add up for the people around them. But it was the way they lived. They created, I think the language he uses to Rodney Stark is they created new social norms in a broken group those cities that that they were in they became the places where there was no jew no greek one body of people no them and us no male no female 
they radicalize the role of women in the church um and uh no slave and no free and that, and that had a knock-on effect with society as well then the church led the way there i've been in, in the role in the ea for a couple of years now my heart has been that we could get back to that space um, and catch a vision for that grassroots subversive power instead of trying to cling to the Christendom power that is crumbling and fading fast before our eyes. And so my message to the church in my role has been culture is changing. Keep calm, stay confident. Jesus is still Lord and we inhabit his kingdom from grassroots up. And I think COVID has brought the church into the space where now we can do that. And we are seeing all around us uh, going forward from here. Well, I, I've been involved with a bit of the, the disability conversation and the vulnerable child conversation and some of the work that we've been doing in the EA, bringing the mission and the advocacy uh, together and being able to say, um, okay, here's, here's an issue, vulnerable children, you know, whether it's disabled um, asylum seekers, refugees, kids in the care system, kids with mental health, um, kids in food poverty. There's a vulnerable child category that's now being brought together and more, more clearly defined in a COVID, in a post-COVID um, reaction from government. And being able to say, okay, we'll speak into Stormont on the policy issues here, but we'll also call the church to become the answer. Uh, and so in this space, specifically talking about disability, you know, the government know going forward, the social, the economy, the social infrastructures, this is a 15, 20 year period of renewal, I imagine, going forward. And the government and the departments as they stand cannot do it alone every piece of policy and action plan that we're seeing come out of Stormont, it is now community resources, community resources, community resources, everything coming together in a cross-departmental way. And so I think the church has got so much to offer in this space going forward. Uh, and we, we've got to really grasp that. We've got to understand it, that our, our space here is new and it's different and there are opportunities for us to impact society and to bring kingdom into these broken spaces but it's costly and I think there's a there's a mindset shift maybe that needs to be done between thinking of the church as the building and the Friday night program and thinking of the church as me and my family and my home and my dining table and my living room and my Saturday morning and my summer holiday and yours and yours and yours and yours and so this network of community, again, going back to where we started, is that this is a community. The church is a, a community of people that has so much to offer because we have relationships, we have places of people belonging, we have places of people being embraced and accepted, um, no matter what their needs are. Um, we we um, have different people in our our home at different times it is not always easy sometimes it's messy sometimes I'm too tired and can't be bothered talking to people um sometimes it's just chaotic but I think this is the space that the church has got to go to I, I love that um I love that, that idea of, of you know um 
the you know church being being community it's not just part of the community but it is community um and i know that's that's something that that has actually came up in a couple of the other podcasts about you know even we're talking about rich hill and the community there uh, and also in in stuff that's gone on in rich hill through through our church last year you know where it was is going you know it's just going and being part of the community um and i know that's something that's um very very close to neil's heart but it's definitely a a, a great way to, to to connect people um and um at a time where we need connection you know we we need, we need it more than ever i suppose they're, they're hungry for that mm, yeah and i think there's there's a space um for the church to ask themselves going forward um i know that was one of the questions that you were asking andrew before when we were chatting um what is the church learning from this season i just wanted to go back to that embodied language because i think it's really important and i suppose for me the challenge is like how i know you've asked this question before donna uh how how are the church stepping up to embody and to transform what's real and what's raw in in the in the human needs that are around us at this time, and um, so I'm just I'm just conscious of that. I feel like that's where I'm I'm finding things difficult because that embodiment is like what we want to be about, and you're not really able to embody it really at the moment, you know. But I still, but but I know that was part of your part of the, your the reflection from last week. This language of post COVID renewal. So I just think it's really important just to keep holding on to those questions that you're posing. Because although we maybe can't answer them now, I just want to make sure that we're continuing to hold these questions and wrestle questions really well. And I know I know you guys are doing a lot of reflecting around Jeremiah 29, and that has been one of the keys for us over the last year. Because for me, as I think about my community, either if, I, if, I, if I'm taking Jeremiah right, either we all prosper or none of us prosper. Like either we're either we're all going to get through this together, or it's we're all going to remain fragment, fragmented and, and fractured, you know. And yeah, no, I think you're right, and um, on so many different levels, you know. So yeah, I guess the the embodiment. So I guess we we talk about proclaiming. That's more, I guess, evangelism. You know, putting words around your faith, saying Jesus is Lord over this issue. Um, embodying is is making it real. So I, I think the church has massively stepped up in terms of food poverty. Um, I, you know, across the UK, we are seeing and hearing the statistics of so many churches who have, have come together in a unity movement, which we also love in the EA. It's what we're about, is, is the unity of the church in a place as with the identity of the church. Um, they have identified the issue that um, people are out of work. That universal credit is a policy that has gaps for people when it just comes to being lived out. Uh, and they have stepped in to provide the very the basic needs for people, you know, bread, beans, a bubble bath for their kids, nappies when it's needed, um, because the level of need in our communities has substantially increased. And so that's one example where people have come together or the need has been, I guess there's a journey, a need is identified. Um, there has been a conversation around, okay, well, what are, what's going on? What is there? What can we do to provide that? 
there are now a diff there's a different layer of conversation going on around food poverty and in, in that does it just sustain a them and an us um and what are the systemic issues that we need to be dealing with in government and so actually um danielle has uh, our uh, my colleague uh, who's public policy in EA, she's been working with a lot of MLAs to get an all party uh, group on food poverty and I know Trussell Trust were working on that and, and some other guys um, in that space. Uh, so it's kind of, a, there's a bit of a journey, I think there's a, you know, and you, you go in and out of the journey. I think probably what is needed is more, more needs to be identified um again often you, you see the ones that rise to the top and are so evident or that get the, the press or where there's been good work done before cap also do brilliant work with debt counseling and, and helping people who are now losing jobs and not able to work and so it's been able to go out and about um, among our communities um less being in a posture where you're listening where you're in touch where you're in relationship where you are aware okay that's an issue right oh, okay that's an issue right and you're seeing the broken pieces of the covid fallen community and then i think there's there's a, a space that you cannot skip especially as the church which is lament whose bases they're, they're not just issues they're not just numbers they're people and there is a there's a space where we We've got a groan with creation around the brokenness and to be able to hold that. And I think that's important to take the right posture, which, which counters against going into a them and an us uh, framework and listening to them and finding out, well, okay, what's the civic authorities doing there? What's that charity doing there? What's that? What's that? What, what are they all doing there? And what's our role here as church? And I think the first question for church is, what is the good news of Jesus over this human? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, look for his Jubilee manifesto is um, that the spirit of Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Uh, and he talks about freedom for the captive and sight for the blind. And those are real human situations. I think sometimes we tend to just spiritualize the brokenness of humanity and talk about sin. And it very much is that we, we don't miss that. Um, but the whole person, the whole family, the whole community is experiencing a brokenness. Um, and I think sometimes the entry point for bringing the flourishing of Jesus in his kingdom is meeting them at the rawest point of felt need. And so for some of the families that I'm with, like Micah and our family and other families, they struggle to get through the day. Uh, you know, uh, the, the level of challenging behaviors sometimes or uh, so many single moms in this, in this space, um, the, the lack of support and respite services, fighting for everything that you need. Adults with a learning disability who maybe a more moderate learning disability, who have no job. Who, who are at home all day, you know, with their 60, 70 year old parents. Um, and it's being able to be in touch. I guess we, you talked a bit at the start, Andrea, about voices that we don't hear and we hear the loud voices. These voices are so silenced. 
they're behind shut doors they're they're in that kind of like 14 out in the highways and byways they're too far away for us to hear so we've got to be present walking around those streets talking to the people pausing like jesus did when he when he came out of the cities and he saw the beggars outside the city gates because they weren't allowed inside pausing and asking questions what is it you want me to do for you uh listening and then responding with everything else that's out there i'm listening to you don like sorry i'm just because you know, a few minutes ago you talked about vulnerability and you actually use the language of god becomes vulnerable and i know that people would find that hard to to take that on board you know, you know what i mean that's fair to say there would be church church leaders there would be people that would struggle with that language and then i think there is people that struggle then to become vulnerable like one of the things that we want to do and some of the people we've brought onto this podcast is literally just to be almost put ourselves in that vulnerable position of listening to stop and to pay attention and listening and it feels like you're making yourself vulnerable like it feels like whenever you're in conversation with people in your community you're making yourself vulnerable because we so often came in thinking that we know what everybody needs as the rescuer trying to pull people out pull people out of their lament or out of their grief rather than just sitting with them in it and there's something really vulnerable about not coming with all the answers not coming with all the all the solutions to your pain like and just sitting in the vulnerability of that and there's something for me that i become so much more willing to be vulnerable whenever i go back to the language that you've used that god became vulnerable and you see jesus like embodying that often with the woman at the well and other places where he just makes himself vulnerable and i think there is i think you know often not just church leaders but me me in another context um mm-hmm. i i'm not comfortable with what i don't know i'm not comfortable asking stupid questions or you know and, and i think that's where relationship comes in where somebody can ask me a stupid question and we'll just laugh together and i'll ask them a stupid question and we'll laugh together or you know there, there's a space of saying i haven't a clue what to do here I don't even know what the issues are and then just to go on a journey with people and one of the moments I think that um that touched me mom so deeply and it, re- it was a it was a real encounter with Jesus in Mark I think it's Mark chapter 9 chapter 10 and it's the, the it's when the Jesus and the, are on the Mount and the transfiguration happened it's all beautiful and peaceful and wonderful then they have to come down into the real world you know that's like us coming out the doors of the church on a sunday morning back into the car with the kids home and you know there's no dinner um so they come down the mountain and there's a complete uproar going on between the scribes and the pharisees and the disciples because the disciples were not able to heal a man who traveled for miles with his son doesn't say what age his son is it could have been an adult son um to for Jesus to heal him and the, the disciples can't do it and so the scribes and the disciples are kind of an uproar they're not caring about the man the man it says that the boy is on the floor writhing around having a fit it, the biblical language talks about the boy being demon possessed you know that was their category for it I don't know but I wonder was it an autistic boy because when I read it, you know, the father then describes the boy to Jesus and he says he runs into fire all the time and he always runs into water. And I was like, that's exactly what Micah does, you know. Um, 
and I just imagine this I think we we read the gospels and there's an invitation for people who are listening to go and read the gospel yes it is Jesus at the center of the story but we often miss the story of the people who Jesus interacts with and I think we fast forward through that dad and I cannot imagine he and his wife with this child in their village ostracized who cannot work who cannot go to the water well who cannot do anything because they are constantly looking after their son the whole village is telling them he's demon possessed take him away from us he's a sinner he shouldn't be in this village and the dad with this son who runs into fire and water makes this long journey to Jesus he is he is beyond himself he is beyond breaking point and he takes his son whatever that must have been like walking with I mean I can hardly walk to the corner shop with my kids in the middle of the road and having a fit on the floor but he walks with his son to Jesus and it might have been villages away you know he might have been walking for several days we don't know but he gets there the disciples can't do it and I just think you know he must have been floored and his son is on the ground writhing around Jesus comes, asks what's going on, and he says, the disciples, you bring that boy to me. And I think that is, is an indictment for the church to hear Jesus' words. Stop dealing with the theological issues here. There are people in need. Bring that boy to me. Bring that woman and that man, bring that family to me, bring that child in the care system to me. And meanwhile, while the boy is still, you know, writhing around and having its fit on the ground, Jesus then gets down beside the father and he says to the father, how long has he been like this? Now Jesus knows, you know, he knows the boy, he's known him from birth. But he wants relationship with the father. He wants to engage, wants to hear the father connect with him and to tell him. And so he tells him everything he's done, what he's been like. And Jesus heals the boy and changes that family's life. And I don't know, I've, I've talked to a lot of different people who do healing ministries about, you know, healing and autism. Interesting, they say, we have not really seen a lot of removal of autism and learning disability. And I think it's, it's part of that little person's personhood. Um, it's not a tumor growing on the side of their leg or something. It, it's part of who they are. Um, I don't doubt God's power, but I think he has a purpose deeper than we can see. Um, but I think there's a different kind of healing that can happen. And so the healing that I think can happen for Micah and for Peter is when this church community, look at this little boy, look at the parents together and they say, how long has he been like this? Okay, bring the boy to Jesus. That is our job, bring him to change the situation. And for, for different families, for different adults with a learning disability, that will be different. Where the guy down the street who lives in my street it will be finding him a day center or a voluntary job or something that he can do that gives him dignity, gives him value, something that he loves, gets friends and gives his parents a bit of space they haven't had for years. For our family, our, for our friends' family, 
it will be saying, okay, you've been waiting two years to get a, a, an overnight in the respite system. We're one night a month for you. Get us signed up to your children's disability team and we'll that out. And I know Home for Good, um, uh, that, that you're involved with, Neil, I know they're engaged in those conversations. And I, there is a space for the church to, to do that. And I know families who've done that for kids with special needs. And they say, yeah, it means we don't have a Saturday free and a Friday night free. And it, it means it's tricky with our kids and we've got to try and explain why we're doing this. But it is life-changing for our family and life-changing for our kids. I was going to say, I work with young people who don't have kids at all. And uh, I don't think you even have to have a child with, with additional needs to just to see the, the difference in dynamic, you know. Um, but the, there are days... And, and and lockdown has just you know has just piled that on as well where where you're completely exhausted and people people don't get that like they they can oh yes you know I'm tired too you know I, I the cat was up at three in the morning wanting fed I, I I think I have just learned to be gracious and to accept I I inhabit a different category of life to people and I don't do expect people to get that anymore I think my husband and I overlooked and we were in several different whatsapp groups I um, mean like small group from church or um, actually you know my daughter's p6 parents group um you know a couple of different friendship groups and I actually I just had to detach myself from all of them because I know everybody is struggling in this season but there are people who are really really struggling I know families with a child with special needs who just could not do it any longer and their child has gone into the care system because all the support structures were taken away. And those numbers are just increasing, Donna. Like we are so conscious of that, you know, and you're trying to you're trying to get the the church to be the ones that are going to be first putting their hands up, saying like we will step in here. That is that is our role, that is our mandate, you know. Um what just finally for me, I, I so value everything you've said and I don't think I'll ever read that story again about the young boy and his dad in the same way again um but just to just to just to say this I I I think Andrew is the joy of having Andrew as part of our church family is that we want his voice to be able to speak into the life of our church and ultimately into our community and sometimes that's that's the frustration for me that we've as well-intentioned as we have been when it comes to making decisions about the life of the church, there is some people's voices that just aren't around the table. And uh, so whenever we think, so I, I listened to an example of a guy today, I'll be really brief here, but he was diagnosed, diagnosed with autism when he was uh, in his thirties and, um, and all, and talked about him and a few of his friends that were like diagnosed with something similar, how all, they always came uh, after the worship in church because they because of their needs they just could not cope with the meet and greet part of the service where people were forced to turn around and hug and they just they just couldn't cope with that and I've just been reflecting on that and I think whenever it comes to making decisions when it comes to making decisions and creating church like when all when all the minds are this are the same in the decision making we miss things like that and so for me, all of that to say is like, I'm, I'm grateful that, that Andrew, passionate about accessibility and all of that is around us as we reflect what it's going to look like post-COVID, that we would be making healthier, better decisions for 
for everybody. And um, that's why I think that's the challenge to the church. But too often we have the same type of minds and same voices, same voices. And it's always the preacher's voice that's allowed us, isn't it? But we need to amplify a few other voices around the decision-making uh, table for the sake of for the sake of everybody else. And so we'll say all of that just to honor Andrew and his voice and his passion in this space as well. I remember watching the thing, uh, a program a couple of years ago, um, and it was Chris Packham. I don't know if you know Chris Packham. He's a wildlife presenter on Spring Watch and so on. He used to be the Really Wild Show whenever I was younger. Um, but he was diagnosed with uh, autism in his 40s. Um, I think he always sort of figured that he was a bit different, just couldn't put his finger on it. And he got diagnosed. And um, he uh, sort of not long after that, um, he did a, a documentary around it. Um, traveled to America um, and found a place where they were trying to cure it, you know. And he says it's one of the saddest places he's ever been, you know. And uh, he says, don't want to be cured, just want to be accepted, just want to be, you know, just to belong and just to be accommodated, so on, you know, and not be like, um, I think we probably... Um, hopefully not so much in church, uh, but I think we do it probably without thinking about it. Um, trying to fix people, uh, and trying to sort of bring people into a norm or a normal, which turns out none of us are normal anyway. <laughs> um, and that is probably part of the part of the joy of humanity is is it's it's messy and it's muddled and it's we've got all sorts we've got a um motley crew in our church and your church and um that's the way it should be but uh i think if if everybody in your church is the same as you you're probably in a cult <laughs> i would hit that if everybody was the same as me <laughs> i frustrate myself enough <laughs> Unless the boys have anything else, my my closing question, I just love a good recommendation for a new Netflix show or a new book to read. So that's always my final question is uh, anything, anything that you have watched or read or listening to that you would uh, that you would recommend. This is very important because the, the man that recommended a book last week, uh, he recommended a book called A Man Called Ove. And it was I, I, I just trusted him implicitly the same way that I trust you. So this is big pressure, Donna. Well, interesting. I was just thinking today about um, a Netflix drama that I watched um, and I didn't expect it to do what it did. I, no spoilers now, no spoilers. But um, Alias Grace, have you seen it? Alias Grace. Um, it's a really interesting story, historic drama, really interesting story. Anyway, and I was kind of just in it for the drama. I love a wee, I love a wee historic drama. Um, but when it gets to the end, it's like a, what? Um, and it, the, it sows this question, which I think culture is doing at the minute, which is, what is truth? Truth is what I want to say. If I don't like what you're saying, it's fake news. I can disregard it. I go to the places. My Facebook will feed me with the stuff that I like. Stuff that I don't like, I can just completely deny. So Alias Grace 
good storyline anyway, but like, whoa, at the end, that actually brings you into that space that goes, ah, and makes you hungry for truth. And we have truth. That is is a wonderful pitch. I am sold once again. (laughs) Oh, also watched um, BBC one, which is crazy. True story. Um, What is it? You know, the one, the murderer in Asia. Isn't that crazy? You're watching such wonderful light stuff, aren't you? (laughs) Puts me to sleep at night. (laughs) Prime drama to put me to sleep. I think we uh, will probably wrap up here then. Not take up any more of your time. Thank you for being on, Donna. It's been great talking to you. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. And we have actually had a few people watching along. Good job. Thanks, Andre. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, guys. Ordinary People was hosted by Neil Dawson and it was produced, edited and engineered by Andrew Gribben and Paul Woods. Head over to OrdinaryPodcast.com for show notes, links, previous episodes and all the ways you can contact the show. See you next time.